1: Listener Barry wrote to us last month with the following inquiry, and I'm quoting him. He says, My wife and I have very different connotations when we see fishnets. I primarily associate them with burlesque and showgirls, but she remembers wearing them as a young girl in the 1960s and primarily associates them with much younger girls and more innocent fashion. What's the history of fishnets as a fashion accessory?
0: And that, Barry, is a great question and an inquiry that I immediately jumped on, and it took me way back into unexpected and, quite frankly, uncharted territory for myself. This might not come as a surprise to our listeners, but fishnets are, of course, aptly named after fishing nets. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: School of the obvious.
0: Yes. <laughs> April, it's been a while since we've put our dress detective hats on.
1: Ah! Oh, I see where we're going with this. Yeah,
0: if you wouldn't mind grabbing yours, uh, we are heading back in history, actually quite far back, maybe the farthest we've ever gone. We're going back 28,000 years. (laughs) I think we might need more than a hat for that,
1: just saying, but I'm ready whenever you are.
0: I'm so sorry to disappoint you, Dress listeners, but women were not, in fact, wearing fishnets 28,000 years ago. That we have evidence of. Yeah, that we know (laughs) of. However, in 2018, archaeologists in South Korea found 14 limestone sinkers. So basically, these weights that have these grooves in them that indicated that they would have been tied to a fishing net. These extant sinkers are believed to be anywhere from 28,550, I love how precise that date is, to 29,460 years old. And this discovery actually added 19,000 years to the earliest known use of fishing nets. My mind is officially blown a little bit, I think. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and and fishing nets, which are essentially fibers knotted into an open structure resembling a grid, they've been used by cultures all over the world for thousands and thousands of years, obviously. And while the net attached to those sinkers that Cass just mentioned doesn't survive, there are some really, really old nets that still do. The Entria net found in Entria, Finland, is one of the oldest extant fishing nets in the world, dating to around... 8450 BCE. And what is especially fascinating is that this same technology used to make these early fishing nets more or less is still in use today, which is amazing. And while our fish nets might be made of different fibers, they basically exist in the same form as they would have thousands or even tens of thousands of years ago. But when did fishing nets, you know, this simple and practical device used for catching fish, cast become fishnets that we
0: all know and some of us wear today? Well, this was not as easy an answer to track down as I was hoping. <laughs> Although I am grateful to past dress guest Karen Ben who pointed me to our earliest visual source, not 8400 BCE early, but 1500 to 1520 AD early, so, you know, 500 years ago. Karen co-authored a book with Jane Merrill called She's Got Legs, A History of Hemlines and Fashion. And in the book, they feature an image of an Italian jar from the Walters Art Museum in Baltimore, which depicts a woman wearing these calf-high stockings, which basically we can describe as fishnet stockings. Ooh, that's and, cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'll send it to you or maybe we'll post it. And this is a painted image, so, you know, not an extant uh Example of, you know, fishnets, but we have little else to go on except that the artist took their inspiration from somewhere. So maybe somewhere someone was wearing um, these actual calf high fishnet stockings. But I mean, the question is, were women wearing fishnets in 16th century Italy?
1: We might not have hard and fast evidence that they were, but this is around the time that scholars generally agree that lace, a handmade openwork fabric, was first being developed and really implemented into dress in Europe. And I know you're thinking lace, fishnets, lace, fishnets. Well, (laughs) stay with us here. You know, there are essentially two different types of lace, um, and and there can be many variations of those two types. But the main two types are needle lace, which um, includes a single needle and thread, or uses a single needle and thread. And there's also bobbin lace, which involves multiple threads spooled on bobbins, and then they get braided together, crossed over into many number of patterns. So while while we often associate lace with its intricate floral patterning, um, the foundation or the ground of this patterning is frequently a net. So if you look at the ground of, let's say, Valenciennes lace, you will see that it's a square or diamond mesh or like an openwork, very similar, albeit smaller in size, to what we associate with fishnets. So there's, there's, a, there's usually a net background on lace or a lot of lace.
0: Yeah, and the same can be said for fillet lace, April, where patterning is achieved by embroidery on a knotted net ground. So emphasis on the knotted because we just referenced this in relation to the construction of fishing nets. And in fact, fillet work is thought to have developed directly out of the fishing net which would have been owned by any number of European communities to which it would have been an indispensable tool. It's not far-fetched to imagine that an enterprising woman might have recognized its potential value as a textile and began experimenting with its decorative effects. That being said,
1: cast all of these laces we just mentioned were being produced at this time entirely by hand, which was incredibly time-intensive and highly meticulous in this process, Um, and this meant that laces were prohibitively expensive to all but a few, and because of this, they really became status symbols, and it is because of this reason that we have so many amazing portraits from the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries that have these incredibly detailed depictions of lace. Um, you know, these men and women wanted to show off their lace, right? They're literally wearing their wealth um, on their clothing. And, and, and it was an important that, that the, the portraitists, you know, relayed that to the viewer.
0: But while we see the origins of an open net patterning and lace of this period, I still had a really hard time finding any evidence of handmade lace net stockings. And I surmise that these pieces were just too valuable to use as a garment that, in addition to not being seen, would have been subjected to the wear and tear of practical use because they're on your feet. You walk on your feet. (laughs) For women to even begin to consider wearing net as a footwear fashion accessory— two things appear to have had to have happened first. So one, lace net had to become affordable and thus, you know, more disposable. And two, as an impractical garment, because, you know, fishnets, (laughs) fishnet tights are nothing if not a novelty. They really have to be seen (laughs) to be appreciated. It's not like they're keeping you warm or or anything like that. And we're going to learn all about that evolution after a brief sponsor break. Welcome back.
1: So, Cass, mechanization of textile production, as you know, would really kind of signal the beginning of the end for many of these handcrafted industries like lace, knitting, and simple sewing because these things increasingly transition to being made by machine. And the latter two are the means by which the majority of people's socks, so we're saying sewing and knitting, Um, that's how most people's socks and hosiery were made for centuries upon centuries.
0: And we just want to say that we've received numerous requests to do an episode on knitting, but I think you and I are kind of intimidated by this topic. I know it's a huge, I mean, it's just a giant, giant topic yeah. because knitting. <laughs> and there's actually an entire
1: podcast just about knitting.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And and just diving into this topic as, as, you know, just for this past week or two, it's it's very clear that this could be in enti- the History of Knitting could be its entire podcast because it's existed in cultures around the world for hundreds, if not over a thousand years. Ancient Egyptians appear to have been some of its earliest practitioners. I guess there's ex- there are extant, I don't guess, I know there are extant knitted socks dating to the 3rd or 4th century AD. So,
1: Wow. Well, they also at the VNA have a really helpful and succinct quote-unquote history of knitting essay. Um, And I think we'll probably post a link of that somewhere. And they tell us in this essay um, that there is evidence of knitting goods being produced and circulated in europe from the 14th century on so knitting was used in the production of men and women's hose at the time and we have to remember we're not talking pantyhose they were not fully fashioned they did not have a crotch these are two separate
0: garments one for each leg and foot And as we can imagine, and I'm sure many of our listeners who knit can relate, hand-knitting hose was a labor and time-intensive process. So you would think that people might have been a bit relieved when the English clergyman William Lee invented the first mechanical knitting machine or stocking frame, as it was known in the 16th century when he created it. But alas, they were not. They were actually quite pissed. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, and like with many modern (laughs) technical innovations, (laughs) um, this all had to do with the fact that many people's livelihoods were depending on the old way of doing things, right? So in this case, the hand
0: knitters, the knitting industry. Right, exactly. And so when Lee's machine knitted stockings were presented to none other than Queen Elizabeth I herself, she rejected them for this very reason. She reportedly told him, quote, I have too much love for my poor people who obtain their bread by the employment of knitting to give my money to forward an invention that will tend to their ruin by depriving them of employment and thus making them bakers. And from this moment on, Lee's stocking frame and its subsequent evolutions were incredibly controversial. You just have to look at the Protection of Stocking Frames Act of 1788, which, (laughs) (laughs) rabbit hole people, go down it, it's fun and the Destruction of Stocking Frames Act of 1812 to realize that people wanted these machines gone. But go away, they
1: would not. Lee's machine might represent one of the first examples of mechanization of textile production, but it would absolutely not be the very last. Um, You know, his invention was this... First major stage in what would become the textile industry's wide revolution that transformed the ways that textiles and dress were produced to this very day, um, and these some of these other inventions include devices such as the cotton gin, the jacquard loom, and you know ultimately the sewing machine. So these machines, like so many textile innovations of the Industrial Revolution, they would transform the industry, but they would also displace thousands
0: of workers in the process. And by the end of the 18th century, Lee's stocking frame was being adapted to produce lace, but it would be John Heathcote's bobbinet machine that is credited with perfecting it. Heathcote's machine produced plain net lace, which we might refer to as tool today. April, this is where stocking production and technology begins to go way over my head.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I can guess because we have a ton of like textile trade industry publications in the collection at FIT. And they have like all the machines and diagrams and scientific information. I mean, it, it, this is like hardcore science we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot, a lot of innovation happening in the knitted hose industry in the 18th Late 18th and early 19th century. So it was a bit overwhelming. And, you know, this is because textile and specifically stocking production was incredibly, you know, integral to the British economy, um, you know, and economies of the world over. So there are these highly detailed reports about its development throughout the 19th century, about the development of these knitting technologies and netting technologies. And there are a lot and lot of developments, as April just mentioned
1: in the 1840s a commissioner was appointed by queen victoria to report on the state of framework knitting industry and he produces a densely packed 65 page report cast 65 <laughs> yes. pages complete no with not only the history of the knitting industry but in the country but also a quote list of the various kinds of machinery Made use of in manufacture of hosiery and lace with the names of inventors from 1589, aka William Lee, we just spoke about, to 1842 to 1843, the present day. So, Needless to say, by the beginning of the 19th century, the list, which spans hundreds of years at this point, was quite extensive and includes everything from Lee's stocking frame and Heathcote's bobinette machine to numerous others, including Cass quote, machines for laying hair in hosiery-made wigs. Yep. <laughs> I think I I think I need to know more about this. And even in 1803, a fishing net machine, but apparently it failed being made by fishermen cheaper than by machine at this point.
0: So I guess the point we're really trying to drive home is that lace and lace net were being machine made in the early 19th century. And by 1845, there's a journal being produced by Pennsylvania's Franklin Institute, and they reported on the modes, quote, of work of fabricating lace and framework knitted manufacturers introduced from foreign states. And this included machines for round fingered gloves from Madrid and Spain, figured warp shawls, and quote unquote knotted hooks hose without seams from Lyon and Barcelona and a quote cylinder tickler machine for making fancy net hose and that came from France. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
1: dirty. A little bit dirty.
0: <laughs> I think a tickler is a needle.
1: Oh okay. Okay. But still, just saying. <laughs> um, but these these were not fishnet nets, right? They're not for catching fish
0: or a fishnet hose. No, they're not. Um and I'm but I am actually happy to finally share that thanks to these evolutions in lace technology in 1889 we find the very first use of the term the actual term fishnet in Harper's Bazaar in relation to women's dress and they write the fashion bodies have returned from Paris, bringing gowns with many new features, gowns of India silks, of Chinese crepe, of fishnets, and laces. But I did not find the use of fishnet in relation to hose or stockings until over 20 years later. In their 1912 fall fashion number, the trade publication
1: Dry Goods Reporter reported on a, quote, black fillet hose of pure silk in a fishnet pattern. But they assure their readers that the hose were not intended to wear next to the skin, but to produce novel effects when worn over white or colored hose. So from the very first introduction of fishnet hose into women's fashion, we are already seeing these associations with eroticism.
0: Yes. You know, and they're kind of scared of that association, right? Because they assure their readers again that, quote, the new fishnet hose that we illustrate in this article has been shown to newspaper representatives, and some of them have used it as a subject of humorous articles, conveying the impression that it was to be worn next to the skin. You know, so (laughs) this erotic potential of this garment is literally illustrated in this article. There's kind of the irony of it because they have this woman modeling this novel hosiery. And April... We see her ankles. Oh, no. What are we going to (laughs) do? Scandal, shock and awe. Um,
1: The article continues on, quote, the hose may never become a big seller on the market, but the effect produced by them is novel, and any store having at least a single pair of them for exhibition purposes could attract unusual attention to their hosiery department. So that's hilarious. They were basically like saying, ooh, come look at these
0: scandalous stockings. You don't have to buy them. We're not really... (laughs) selling them just come see them Right, right. And I mean, it remained a novelty throughout the teens, basically until 1920, and this is where we see a more widespread acknowledgement of what the dry goods reporter calls the quote, unquote, fishnet effect in hosiery. They even provide this humorous cartoon entitled Catch One Kind of Fish, which kind of presents this confused woman holding these striking stockings that the author saw at a recent fashion show, which quote, appeared at a distance to be no more than a bit of fishnet bound to the leg. Closer inspection revealed a body of mesh on which the network was laid, end quote. And these fishnets, unlike their predecessors, do not appear to have been worn over any additional stocking for modesty. Cass, as you know,
1: we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone.
0: So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now
1: you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 1920, the Underwear and Hosiery Review also reported, quote, one of the newer interpretations of the lace hose, which is expected to be worn in spite of the fact that they are decidedly extreme— is the fishnet hose. This all-over lace model leaves a little more to the imagination than a large meshed face veil converted it into a stocking, but it is quite in keeping with the evident effort being made in other lines to not overwork that faculty any more than necessary and is expected to rather generally be adopted when the warm weather makes an appearance.
0: And hemlines, we remind you, have been on the rise since 1914. So by 1920, women are revealing more leg than they ever have in the entire history of fashion. I mean, not miniskirt leg we'll get to that in a minute, but showing your leg up to the calf as they did here was something totally new. And the fishnet hosiery highlighted this novel effect of a woman's leg beautifully from the 1920s onwards. And, you know, hemlines are continuously on the rise throughout the 1920s till they end just below the knee. We will see fishnet hosiery come in and out of fashion time and time again from the 1920s on. So in 1930, women wear, Daily reports there is a strong tendency to fishnet hosiery resembling the one-time handmade net that used to come from France for $18 a pair. Mesh stockings seem to have made a very good start toward another spurt in demand. And in 1930, that $18 would have been a staggering
1: $280 a pair. Wowza. Yeah. So apparently at that time, they were a very special item. And and perhaps that's why in the 1930s, you see the adoption of fishnet hose by the iconic burlesque performer Gypsy Rose Lee. And there is this fabulous image of her in a sequined fishnet onesie complete with matching fingerless fishnet gloves and this gargantuan hat spanning, like, four feet. And we found numerous references to fishnets being adopted by burlesque performers at the Moulin Rouge in the early 20th century, but no, like, real super concrete evidence to back it up. And all of this being said, we've already established that the revealing nature of the fishnets, their open construction, really lends itself to these erotic narratives. So... There's little doubt as to why countless burlesque performers, showgirls, pinup girls, and porn stars um, adopted fishnets into their costumes. Um, but exactly when this first happened, is a little bit harder to pinpoint.
0: Yeah, and we should also add dancers to this list of, of performers that adopted fishnets. Because I only found actually two references to fishnets in the Life Magazine archive. You can Google search the entire archive online. It's really fun. Um, So in 1939, they wrote, fishermen grumble at new fashion, which depletes their net supply All the little minnows, which were not caught for bait this spring, may well give thanks to women of the U.S. who have adopted uh, (laughs) fishnet turbans, scarves, belts, and skirts as items in their sports outfits. And then again in 1940, the second only ever reference is um, in regards to a new review on Broadway, and they write, In the background, the chorus wearing fishnet tights is completely irrelevant but ornamental.
1: In 1947, Women's Red Daily reported, quote, ballet themes throw footlight on sports hose and said that, quote, fishnet stockings are dyed deep colors and embroidered or appliqued with contrasting motifs. With ballerina skirts, they find a natural relationship enhancing the costume mood desirable for after-ski lounging or square dancing. You know, <laughs> ballet skiing, or square dancing. <laughs> so a would really come to dominate sportswear-related dress in the 1950s and the 1960s. You know, many people may not actually realize that Audrey Hepburn – trained to be a ballerina before she was an actress, and there are many, many wonderful images of her in her dance rehearsal dress wearing a leotard and fishnet tights. So uh, we will also provide a really fabulous link to a post by the blog Vintage Every Day, and they feature photographs of the numerous sirens of the screen and stage who wore fishnets in the 1950s and the 1960s, all the way
0: from Betty Page to Brigitte Bardot. Yeah, there are so, so many, and it's a really fun uh, post, so we'll definitely share that with you. And this, ladies and gentlemen, takes us to the 1960s, where listener Barry's wife said she associates fishnets with adolescent teenage girls. So naturally, I called my mother to inquire as to if she remembers wearing them. By the way, April, when she heard the episode that you called your mom and asked about the dicky, uh-huh. she asked why I did not call her. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you did. <laughs> So I called her about fishnets, mom. So, um, you know, her report actually was not necessarily a positive one. She says she remembers wearing them. She remembers them being in colors of red, black, and white, but she remembers that they never fit her properly, so she was not a fan. And I actually looked into this a little bit, April, and apparently manufacturers did not make the connection between a woman's height and weight and the size of their pantyhose until the early 1970s. So uh, my mom also requested a feature FHM on the history of the pantyhose, something we've referenced briefly here. Another fascinating inquiry, but perhaps reserved for another day.
1: Yeah, for sure. So back to the 1960s, um, you know, this really was the moment for fishnet stockings, particularly 1967, because hemlines were on the rise during the 1960s, and in some cases, they didn't stop rising until they reach just below a woman's buttocks. So tights now became indispensable to women's wardrobes. And, you know, a a lot of the more daring women, let's say, forwent them altogether. But in 1967, Women's Wear Daily reported, quote, Reorders on spring hosiery are breaking records. Hose men report healthy increases on most hosiery categories, but it is fishnet, the strongest and longest-lived item in recent fashion hose history, that are keeping makers swamped with orders. Fishnet is on the top of the most wanted and hard-to-get list. So they also um, cast humorously note in this article that fishnet was likely favored for summer months because it is, quote, (laughs) Air
0: conditioned.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. They're <laughs> still very tight, but still.
0: <laughs> they breathe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then there's this wonderful article in the August 1967 issue of Ebony Magazine that sums up the youthful exuberance of 1960s fashion perfectly. The author writes insistence upon freedom, heady indulgence in new experiences, and open rebellion against traditional modes of behavior have resulted in a general taste for clothing that is bold in color daring in design and styled for easy movement. And in recent years, this youthful daring has come to dominate the world of fashion. Fashion hallmark of the swinging 60s is, of course, the miniskirt with its soaring hemline, clearly drawing the line between those who are and are not into what's happening. With this greater exposure, the legs too have come into their own as something to be adorned not merely taken for granted. The conservative nylon has taken a back seat and any girl's wardrobe might be considered incomplete if it does not include several pairs of brightly colored stockings and fishnet and other textured fabrics. Gone is formality and with the past fashion barriers now shattered, today's well-dressed girl is free to express her inner youthful joy in everything she does. And I actually forgot to mention, April, that 1967 is also the year that Miss Twiggy, You know, international fashion icon at this point Mm -hmm. produces a line of fishnet hose with trim fit. Oh there you go. That might also have something to do with it. It was the
1: hot ticket in 1967. (laughs) Yep. You know, and and really from nineteen sixty-seven onwards, because fishnets would continue to come in and out of fashion. And to this day their associations alternate between eroticism and fun. And fearless fashion. And there are some fabulous artists doing really beautiful and incredibly um, intricate things with fishnets on Etsy, for instance. Um, You know, embroidering them, uh, bedazzling them um, with, you know, the most beautiful array of jewels or flowers. So pop on over to Etsy
0: and just type in little fishnets to see what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, or grab your pair of fishnets and embroider away. Um, Barry, thank you so much for your question. I don't think April and I ever could have imagined that this origin story would take us back so far in history or into the minutia of knitting and lace technology, but we are glad it did. We learned so much. All right. That does it for us today. Dress listeners, may you consider wearing your fishing nets next time you get dressed. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us on
1: iTunes, and we love hearing from you. So if you would like to write to us with your own fashion history mystery request, you can do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, which is also our Twitter handle, and you can follow us on Facebook at dressed podcast without the underscore.
0: Last but not least, thank you to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartMedia that makes the show possible each week. Thank you, of course, to our listeners, and we will catch you soon. Trust the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.